There are hundreds of different databases. There are tens of continuous delivery products. There's an ocean of cloud providers and CRM systems and monitoring platforms and sales prospecting tools. The range of available software products is so diverse that it can be overwhelming to figure out which products to buy. Siftery is a company that was started to index the software products that exist in the world and to help buyers make decisions. Siftery can build a data set from your website or from your Google account, assess your software stack, and compare those software products to others on the market. In a previous show with Ayan Barwa, we discussed how engineers should explore the question of build versus buy. In today's episode, Ayan joins the show to discuss how Siftery has evolved and the engineering behind Siftery itself. A newer Siftery product that they recently built is called Track, and it can ingest banking transactions and QuickBooks records and other transaction histories, and you can use that information to then assess your cost structure. Ian is a good friend, and it's awesome to see his company Siftery doing so well. We spent most of the conversation talking about the product development process of Siftery, and then the latter part of the conversation talking about how Siftery turns product development ideas into engineering processes. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Ayan Barwa. Ayan Barwa, you are the CTO at Siftery. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me again. It's great to catch up again. So last time we spoke, we talked about the state of SaaS and what you're building at Siftery. Explain what Siftery is for those who did not catch that episode. Sure, Jeff. Siftery, we started the company in 2015, June. The mission and the vision of the company is to help buyers of software, which is pretty much everyone, you know, effectively buy, select, and manage their SaaS. We built a discovery platform, which we call Siftery Discover. Uh, we launched in 2016 in early Jan. It was a great product launch. We launched in Product Hunt. Uh, the product itself was a way to understand which company is using what product and inversely how products are doing. And you know, using this data set, we built out a recommendation engine uh, that since then have been used by 25,000 companies, big and small. So that's where we are with Sifri Discover. Uh, lately, we have also launched another product called Sifri Track. It's an effective way to manage the spend of your software footprint. I can go into more details later. Sure. These are the two products we have, and we are uh, seeing some traction in the market uh, around these two products. So my experience with Siftery has been that it integrates with your stack some way, either through, depending on what Siftery product you're using, can integrate through your Google account and can look at the the products you're using through Google. It can look at your website and just tell from the website that it's using certain products. You can, the, the newest product, the Siftery Track thing, is basically a way to integrate with your accounting software or through your bank so that it can look at your transaction history and, and make associations with products based off of that transaction history. And all of this is useful because it is a self-creation. It just makes a vision of your stack that you can look at 
and also generates the amount of costs that you have associated with that stack and potentially gives you other stacks that you can compare it to, other products that you can compare it to. It's a way of maybe assessing your stack and looking at other options, perhaps ways to save money. I think of it kind of as a, a category creation. And I think you know one thing I've taken away from it is that there are a ton of options for things that you can buy in the software world. And engineers probably should be buying even more software than they are because you know, rather than building stuff from scratch, this is, this is something we touched on last time, the whole idea of do you build it or do you buy it? Are engineers buying as much software as they should be? Or or do you think people are, are maybe saving money a little too much? Should they be buying more software? Interesting question, Jeff. I think that specialization around software and what it can do has just increased in the last two years, right? And we're seeing this with almost every category that very niche products come out and they are so good at automating that part that you know we you would want a couple of engineers to be building out so what we've seen is proliferation of software and what we've seen is uh, more categories and more niche products that have come out and effectively served a very strong use case and that is just a one-way direction, according to me. From the the data also tells us that uh, we started with a database of three thousand products. We've now gone up to forty thousand. I think it's all around us. I guess that you know you are using more and more tools to automate specific use cases, and that's an irreversible process, according to me. I talked to a hiring manager recently from a really large tech company, one of the biggest tech companies out there, and he said that most of the new grads that they're hiring, their job is about stitching together external APIs. It's about open source software. It's about copy pasting from Stack Overflow. It's not writing stuff from scratch. So it really does seem to be a sea change, even in how people are writing software. And the the software that you're writing ties in with the software that you're purchasing because there are these very good high-level APIs that that you can purchase off the shelf, of course, and they just make writing software much easier. Siftery has a variety of user types, from what I can tell. You've got CIO-type people who are the buyers who might potentially be approaching Siftery from a cost management standpoint or from a product discovery standpoint. You also have engineers that are looking for just products that they could potentially use to build off of. How do the different types of users approach Siftery? I think, yeah, you covered uh, two of these, which is uh, the CIO, CFO, or any decision maker as such. Basically, people trying to understand what they're using at their company. And this problem of what we are using at my company is uh, really compounded with the scale of the company, right? So a public company would end up using 1,000 vendors, 1,000 plus. A smaller organization might use 50 so definitely understanding what my software footprint is, especially because the decision-making around purchasing and around adoption of that software is very decentralized today. So trying to understand what the footprint is, trying to understand what the shadow IT is, uh, where uh, we didn't really know that we are using this, but hey, let's standardize. So that's one. Um, then the other part is understanding how much you're spending and 
if you can cut down and you can basically reduce waste and reduce uh, the footprint in general in terms of uh, licenses and renewal around licenses so you can do a lot of you can look at all that data and you can take a lot of intelligent decisions so that is one and the other one is uh, as you mentioned you know engineers and other groups of people looking into it one is social proof as well so let's say a new product has come out and the moment siftry uh, surfacing that and you go to the product profile on siftry and you see some decent customers uh, using that product you know creating a good nps score around it uh, writing some good reviews you know they are also being surfaced in good comparisons so that's social proof for others to understand that this is a product that is gaining market and and you know it is a well designed well architected product and satisfying the use case that it is intended for uh, use case understanding is also something that people do on the platform we have gone really deep in terms of categorization it's still a work in progress but we have i think over 700 categories you know we have broken down many categories which uh, haven't been broken down before and uh, it's okay if all those categories have you know five or six products what's an example of a niche category that you've broken down if you look at social media management overall right so i can give you examples in the show notes but there are certain products that have come out which do a very specific task right it could be as simple as understands your linkedin connections and it will fall somewhere in the crm bucket hmm. but it's so niche and it's like 15 bucks a month <laughs> but it is really effective in you know understanding your linkedin graph and then what you can do with that graph right by the way this kind of tool might sound boring to especially like maybe to some engineers Absolutely. listening like why would i care about that but i can just tell you from my experience doing a podcast and a podcast is kind of a weird niche business and we do weird niche things the way that we interface with podcast advertising buyers for example is very strange and we use unusual products for that and it's that's why it's actually quite useful to have a way to discover and index very niche products because the number of niche businesses with niche needs is increasing absolutely i think you know this is the data sort of supports this but every day new products are coming out and earlier you just had a salesforce or a microsoft or a you know big category winner you don't see that very often these days and you know even the big companies are sort of decentralizing themselves and there are many products adding up to their revenue uh, cycles i think this is an increasing direction this this is a the direction that uh, as i mentioned is just one way you will find specialists working with really good you know products and that combination is very very powerful so many years ago instagram got to that kind of success with 13 people is because you know they had a really great team which knew how to architect good systems and they also had really great systems at their disposal so i think the winning formula formula here was going to be great people working with great set of tools and our job is to sort of you know Sifri's uh, mission is to sort of help all these great people to be really effective with their toolkit and it's part of the human progression I guess that's how we've gotten here. Has anything surprised you in the data that 
you have all these people that are plugging in their their stacks into Siftery, what surprises have you seen in the data about how people are buying and using SaaS products? The data is very multidimensional. We don't tend to analyze data to the extent where we are making a data business out of it. But we do you know, have customers who are trying to understand their data better. And we dig in at times trying to understand what's going on. There are a lot of things that have surprised us in terms of how people are, uh, there are certain segments of the industry uh, which are very reliant on uh, certain other types of software. So for, for example, all these e-commerce companies, right? You can take Stitch Fix and all the other companies. They're very reliant on shipping software, right? Which is something that the customers don't see. And there is this really interesting group of companies which are not the darlings of venture capital or not really well known, but they are almost pumping hundreds of millions of dollars worth of you know shipment across the board almost every month. So we've seen these categories of software which do not tend to sort of you know identify easily, but then you realize okay these are powering economies, right? So background checking services background verifications, right? Checker just raised $100 million. They are powering so many on-demand companies and shipping software, as I mentioned, in the e-commerce business. Uh, They're also powering a lot of uh, that segment. So very interesting data set. I I think if you have specific questions, happy to answer them. Yeah. These products that are niche, and it's always cool to hear about a niche product that is widely adopted within a category, you see these niche products actually end up making lots and lots of money because oftentimes their niche categories end up to be bigger than than you anticipate. But it's also cool to see when a company like Slack makes a widely accepted product, a flexible product, a company that is not a Salesforce or a Microsoft or a Google, a dominant company, adopts, uh, creates something that is so flexible. Are, are you seeing any new flexible products come to mind that tons and tons of companies are adopting across all kinds of industries, things that are, you know, that your lay person may not know about? Are there any subtle products that are, that you think are sleeping giants? Yeah, I think if you look at Slack, right, it's it's a communications tool at the end of the day, right? So you will have work software, which are very tightly integrated with your workflow. So Slack is one of them. I'm sure that Front is another one. I think if you look at software, which deeply integrates with your workflow, and if that workflow is very company-wide, then... Uh, you will see products that are very flexible, that are very customizable, and they're very good overall in terms of experience. Uh, it's just given that you will see them really win the market because adoption today is very quick and it's very easy to grow fast just through product experience and word of mouth uh, marketing. Wow. Do you see any interesting observations about cloud providers? Because you obviously also can have visibility into the it's not just the SaaS, but it's also the platform as a service and the infrastructure as a service. So do you see any interesting observations in a Google Cloud versus AWS or more long-tail cloud providers? What kind of observations do you see there? Yeah, I think data is pretty sensitive, so I wouldn't want to 
give you numbers in terms of what we are okay. seeing what we are also seeing is a you know tiny bit of the actual spend right we're a very young company so extrapolating it to a industry wide benchmark may not be the right way to do it one observation that i have is that unlike what people think that companies like smaller companies and smaller hosting companies are dead they are not so aws is probably really great when you have a toolkit you have a product that needs a lot of other tools so you have you need a database you need a cloud front like uh, storage service you need you need maybe auto scaling built in when you know there's sophistication you need a lot of these cloud platforms but for a lot of products you don't need these sophistications right so and the linodes and the ovhs they are doing really well because overall more and more platforms are coming online and not all of them have very strong complex ecosystem <laughs> right so what happens is that you know you're perfectly fine just hosting on linode and a lot of experts actually don't even rely on aws you know um, so i do see that uh, the usage around a lot of these products have been gone down they are you know equally keeping pace with the bigger giants uh, that's one thing that i think i personally have noticed we haven't really published any report around that just an observation that i've had man and i bet those businesses are getting better and better cuz they get better and better economies of scale even if their costs or even if their their prices stay flat and their you know their users are used to to linode or to hostgator like i still use hostgator i started using hostgator in in high school. you don't need to go to aws if you don't have a use case so i think siftry is one of the mission is to sort of you know bring clarity there there's a lot of herd mentality as well you know two years back also i mentioned that you don't need to be on docker if you don't have to be on docker right so understanding right. what's i think with silicon valley engineering we all want to play <laughs> with cool products and that's great that pushes the boundaries around innovation from you know we've gone from three people company to you know 20 plus people what i see organization is a challenge around how do we you know understand that within this plethora of tools that are very easy to adopt right how do you choose better and that that problem is going to reflect in a much bigger way as time progresses all right well maybe i won't ask you about kubernetes today i started using your product siftery track which is the accounting tool so i use siftery track and it's it integrates with your accounting or your banking software and then it tells you what you're spending money on and it helps people control their their saas spend so I guess my first question is is it hard to get people to feel comfortable authenticating with their accounting software or with their banking software because I you know getting people to authenticate with Google or Facebook is not too hard but I feel like you know OAuthing with your bank account is a little little bit makes people a little more uneasy that is certain I I think that you know before I answer this question can I just talk a little bit about how we came about to this software so you know it it ties back into the answer that you're looking for sure but you know while we were building siftery.com our our vision was always to sort of cater to the buyer side and less to the vendor side while we started growing siftery.com a lot of people uh, a lot of our own users gave us feedback that you know this list is great i can see what we are using on the platform but 
I'm not sure how much I'm spending and also if I'm spending the right way. And the other question that a lot of users posed us uh, was the fact that do we even know if, if we are paying the right amount? Uh, because the moment you go into the enterprise tier, pricing is just basically going to be boiling down you know, into negotiation, right? So uh, how much are we spending? Are we spending the right amounts? Are we organizationally looking at, you know, reduction of waste, very considered, very structured way? So these were certain questions that people were throwing at us consistently. And I think from there, on all this feedback, all the discussions that we've had with our users, it seemed like there could be automated ways of pulling that data in and not really getting users to verify And while we started brainstorming this, we realized that the best source of truth around how much you're spending is your financial, uh, you know, source of truth. So whether it's an accounting system, whether it's a bank, you know, all your credit cards, uh, you know, your expense management systems are finally sort of reside there uh, within your bank or or your uh, accounting system. I think we started a small beta. We tried to understand which accounting systems we should uh, go and tap into, if at all, uh, which banking institutions should we go and pull data from. We, you know, pull our user base, try to understand what their security concerns were, or what their privacy concerns were. And from all that discussion, I think emerged Swiftry Track, which is a very simple way to connect your uh, financial system of truth to our, you know, our database and then we build a beautiful, very magical sort of dashboard out of it. This product is kept separate from Sifri.com uh, simply because we didn't want to immediately merge the two data sets. So track has been given its own bubble. Track has been given its own sort of structure. And we have started at a very secure zone to start off with. And then uh, the privacy is the privacy of this data is also paramount. Um, so we've looked at uh, the architecture, the engineering architecture, the way we go about doing things in a very different way. And so Track is a completely different product, that's why. Mm. To answer your question around uh, security, it's a big concern. So we are under SOC 2 audit today. This product will have to be very, very uh, secure. And What is a SOC 2 audit? So there's a bunch of compliance that you can go and get yourself certified with. So SOC 2 is one of those industry standards which uh, sort of look at your entire infrastructure, look at your InfoSec policies, look at your personnel. And this is like a formal audit that you go through, looking at your entire uh, footprint of what you're doing. This is not necessarily related to the fact that you have to integrate with banking APIs. This is just a general audit that's for your own company health for our company health and we are also working with secure APIs. so for our banking you know integration we're using plan yodli so these are two top of the line products uh, for quickbooks and zero these are all oauth and they are they have thousands of such apps on the marketplace so we are using oauth and xaml2 there wherever it's needed um, so the fetch of the data is very secure and then it's the onus is on us to make it really, really bulletproof. And we are focusing on the second part. The first part where integrating with the banking you know, source of truth 
we are not doing that because we would need PCI, DSS compliance and all that. So we are reliant on, you know, fantastic APIs like Plaid and Yodli, which are working with these financial organizations and they are, uh, their security is much ahead of the curve. As you said, you, this first product was Siftery Discover, and this is where you can browse different products and find related products and compare prices, compare usability, compare popularity. And then you built an entirely separate product, which is Siftery Track. You probably were able to reuse some some aspects of the first product, like the index of products, but then you had to figure out how to connect certain receipts or transactions in my banking history or in my QuickBooks history with the products that they correspond to. So maybe you could tell me about the process of building a second product, because this is something that is pretty hard for a lot of companies because, you know, they start with one product, they build a core competency in that one product, and to go off and build a second product can often be a challenge. So what was the the process like? What was the evolution like of developing the second product? Yeah, it is actually a very interesting question. I don't get this question often, even, you know, when I'm talking and chatting with my friends. We had to rethink the way we are organized uh, because sifri.com is a fast paced you know consumer product and um, you know it moves at a certain pace uh, features are you know getting developed in a certain way uh, the data is kind of open by default and for track we had to sort of you know completely rethink the way we do things and it was not easy because uh, this is the same team which is building a very different product and the core audience has shifted from more browsing the 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 behavior that sifri.com encourages is more browsing uh, more understanding you know of, of you're looking at a much wider footprint of data here you're just looking at your own data and you are so one is catered for breadth the other this one is catered for catered towards depth which meant that you know the product thinking itself was a little different so you know every product is different we had to rethink a lot of the ways we've we did things, uh, including our architecture. This one had to be a different architecture. We had to build security from the grounds up. Not saying that Siftery.com is not secure, but here the data security and data privacy is so paramount uh, that we had to err on the side of you know paranoia. And uh, so we had to bring a couple of people in who are experts here. And we had to, you know, carve out certain members of the team had to sort of work on this exclusively. So I, I think it is very hard to build a second product, which is not just a feature, but it's a completely different product. But it caters really well to the mission and vision of the company. We want to build a really big business on the buyer side and hold off or not make that great a business on the vendor side where you know you can sell data you can lead you can you can sell lead gen i think that you know two years ago i also i had mentioned that some of the core core competencies of the platform for it to be the platform of discovery uh, we need to have that healthy balance where it is not totally catered for vendors we need to give we need to sort of build the business out on the buyer side so that the marketplace is more neutral and 
I think this product fits in really well into that thesis that we need to build a product which every company uses and is on the squarely on the buyer side. It's a SaaS product. We have marketplace, so you know, siftree.com plus track.siftree.com. These two are a combination of SaaS plus marketplace. And the SaaS is where the business model is emergent and the marketplace stays more neutral in that case. So even though this was hard, I think it was it tied you know, it sort of fell really well in the realms of our mission and vision. And yeah, I mean, sometimes you just have to do the hard things, I guess. Indeed. And you mentioned hiring there. Hiring is one aspect of scaling. You've gone from three to 20 people probably since we last spoke. Maybe you had more than three people when we last spoke. But what have you learned about that? scaling process i i'd love to hear about it both on the personnel slash management side and on the infrastructure engineering and product development side that's a crazy question i, I think that every day i feel like i am so not up to the mark right even though the product is growing and Sifri is growing because every day throws a new sort of challenge and you know within the team also we started with a you know group of people you know, there is a lot of expertise that have been built up now, but we are also doing new things and that expertise at times, are, you know, that is not helping us as much that you would want it to help us. You, we had to look at security in a very fundamental way and we didn't have anyone, you know, thinking about security the way we needed to think about Siftery and about security, which means that we needed to go and find people who could re-architect parts of the platform. That is always hard. It is just not about tractorsifree.com. It is also going to be reflective of the entire platform. I think we are thrown, new challenges are thrown at us every day. And, uh, you know, most of the times we are, you know, under the impression that maybe today we are not going to hold it together, but we end up doing it. So it's been crazy, actually. (laughs) How do you scale the hiring process? I mean, there's so many different ways you can hire. You can do it completely in-house. You can use executive recruiters, you can use hiring services. This is a topic that I have not covered as much on the show as I would like, but I, you know, somebody like you who's quite busy, how do you approach hiring? Increase the team has a cost, right? So once you raise a little bit of capital or you're making, you know, a lot of money through different products and you're hitting profitability, you know, either the, whichever way you are getting capital in, it's easy to think of hiring as you know, let's throw more people at this problem. I do think that's not going to scale. So even though we raised a bunch of money and we have parts of our team in engineering in India, we haven't really grown to a point where it's all crazy. So it's still a very well-knit, tight team. Attrition has been really low, close to zero. Where we have tried to, the way we've tried to scale is being very very sure about the candidate so i think uh, i spend more time in understanding an incoming request of candidature than actual coding at times so what we've seen is we've tried to understand the incoming candidate really well whether they'd fit into our team whether culturally yeah whether we'd fit into their uh, because anybody who's coming in right doesn't only keep the culture but extends that culture you know adds to that culture so that whole culture thing has we have a certain uh, system of values 
but new people are constantly adding and extending that culture what we stand for uh, remains the same but the nuances are always in a state of flux so i think we spend a lot of time trying to understand who this person is so the engineering hiring you know and even the growth hiring the product hiring design hiring has is all based on discussion so purely from an engineering point of view because i'm leading that org we don't have a very structured interview if we get get a lead through a network referral or somebody's just emailed me or there's a job description that has been floated on angel list or some other platform and there's an incoming person you know I, we spend a lot of time understanding what they've done why they like citri what are they trying to accomplish and even before we test technical skills which i understand if this person is going to really enjoy working with us and obviously vice versa so that's one way to scale and or rather getting the right people if you have the right people you are having to tell them less of what they should do instead they are telling us what we should do as a group terrific individual responsibility is what we're looking at if you have a group of people who are really good at uh, executing their own plans and actually influencing their peers in a in a really good way i think operational overhead really goes down we don't have a managerial layer as such we mostly have a group of people who are pushing uh, product and pushing code so that has scaled till now but as i mentioned you know it's too early in the life cycle to understand whether this will scale to 500 employees and i really hope uh, we can get there very soon so last time we talked about the engineering side of things we talked about the stack of siftery and I'm curious if anything has developed what new technical learnings do you have I mean I think I mean don't take this the wrong way I think the more interesting questions are probably around product development rather than engineering I if I recall last time the engineering stack is pretty simple right but uh, or has it gotten more complex what are the difficult engineering challenges that you have started to run up against Last time when we spoke one thing we didn't have was this sea of data we had just launched we had a thousand companies using us or maybe even less and then we've gone from there to uh, millions and millions of data points right and so how do you store all this data how do you and then we have our own crawlers crawling the internet so you know terabytes of uh, data can pour in every day so i think from an engine standpoint we've had to really rethink and rebuild a lot on the data architecture the storage of it the analysis of it and then you know the how do you sort of parse all that data and bring out the relevant insights out of it so i think we've gained a lot of expertise on that front uh, it may not be necessarily a tool thing we've iterated on that as well we didn't have a data warehouse before this you know we had to go and get our data into something like redshift we had a single database we had to sort of look at other you know caching options so there was some infrastructure component to to this but i think the 80% of the rebuilding and the rethinking was around the data architecture itself and with track what we saw was a different problem because how do you footprint and how do you fingerprint software from transactions right so different vendors are billing you in different ways so sometimes your aws 
payment will be through amazon.com sometimes it will be aws.amazon.com sometimes it will be aws and it can seem like a simple problem but it is not always a simple problem because it is creating false positives right with uh, with sifri.com because the data set is so diverse and it is partly crowdsourced there is a bit of error margin uh, with track this is your data right so i cannot tell you that you know we have a error margin of 0.001 even that is not acceptable because it gives a wrong idea about your own spend so we have to get the products right we have to get the spend right and there are lots of nuances when you are integrating with these apis so not only your banking apis you know you, your accounting systems your expense management so you also connect expensify or you can connect bill.com which is your accounts payable marketplace system and then you can bring in your custom uploads so there is duplication problems there are identification problems really great problems to have but i think that the initial bit of data was really hard to build that is why sifri.com itself was very helpful because we could cross validate validate initial our initial beta customers we could cross validate that they are indeed using it it's on discover but we are not able to find it maybe you know there are better ways to sort of algorithmically understand the feed itself i think there there will be saas spend management is an emerging space there will be other competitors where we really would stand out is the fact that we have a you know really wide footprint like sifri.com which is also a really great data funnel to validate and cross validate so all that data can not coexist but they can teach either each other things All right. So first of all, I, I definitely take back what I said about the engineering problems. Plenty of interesting stuff to discuss. So you talked about two disjoint sets of uh, problems. The first one is the volume of data and adjusting to the volume of data and the data warehousing solutions that you integrated with or purchased or stood up to respond to that influx of data. Is this a solved problem or was there anything I mean can you just look up like how to migrate my Postgres database to Redshift and you know what queries to to make against Redshift can you just look it up or was there anything that you knew that you had to do from scratch You wouldn't migrate your Postgres to Redshift in totality okay. because both of them are different sorts of you know one is your analytical data where you have tons and tons of data you're analyzing them not all of them are relevant your postgres will have your app data which is very relevant in your your app is constantly querying the data set right so uh, one is the oltp the other one is the olap and so you wouldn't migrate one into another okay sure so one column one or two columns of so what happens is that you know along the way the so initially your postgres is what where all the data is your relational database is where all the data is maybe you have you know something like mongo in place uh, where all your data is and then when the volume increases you realize that okay i need to chunk this data out and put it into some kind of a warehouse where we can analyze this better that evolution is quite fascinating it didn't happen in one day but you know we were thinking about it and suddenly we had to say that okay it's getting to a point where we need to chunk it out and add more data to it which we are not saving today we could save more data but this data we shouldn't save it in your in our relational database because it slows down the app you know query time increases okay chunk it out into a into a warehouse and again it's less about the tool i guess 
more about what we are trying to do. Something like Redshift is very easy to get started with and doesn't have a lot of, you know, learning curve and is again on the Postgres engine itself, uh, which RDS uh, uses. So I'm sure that, you know, there are other companies like Snowflake and uh, some really cool data warehouse products that have come out. We haven't had the chance to play with them yet, but I guess that's part of scaling as well. When you get to a point where your Redshift is throwing trouble, you know, you've set it up in a way where you're not getting enough leverage and maybe along comes a way, along comes a new tool that can do it really effortlessly and then you sort of tend to migrate. So I guess forward thinking is very difficult, you know, in hindsight, it's easier, I guess. So the other product engineering challenge that you mentioned tackling was the fact that when you have a uh, somebody who integrates with this new tool, the Siftery Track tool, and they're importing all of their transactions, all of these banking transactions, and you want to be able to parse all those banking transactions and turn them into a report on how much you are spending on particular types of products. You need to be able to correlate each transaction to a product. And, you know, there's all kinds of like malformed transactions that could turn up. There's different transactions that could correspond to the same product. And what you were saying was that you were able to use Siftery Discover, which is the first thing that you built, the, this set of companies and the products that they use. You were able to use that to validate different transactional, the wording of transaction receipts, basically, to companies that uh, had verified that they use certain products on the Siftery Discover products. So you were able to, so if you had a company that used both Discover and Track, you're able to look at the transactions from Track and look at the predictions you're making. And you're, you know, if you have a transaction from Amazon that is strangely formed, but you know your mapping system maps it to being an Amazon transaction, and it indicates that somebody's using AWS. Then you're able to look at that same customer on the Discover product and validate that they are indeed using AWS. But I imagine there are uh, there are a lot of other. I mean, there's probably a lot more to that story of how you develop that transaction analysis system. Could you talk a little bit more about how you built a system that learned to identify those transactions and, and associate them with specific product spend categories? Yeah, from a we've gotten to a scale where we don't need to do that anymore. But the initial bootstrap that we had to do, because you're looking at a transaction, you know, you're looking at, we were looking at our own transactions. So we are, you know, huge users of Citri Track at Citri. So I'm constantly looking at, you know, how my engineering team, uh, you know, you know, our marketing teams and our design teams, what they're spending on, how how we are doing there. Is there any new product that we're using? Because that's also an alert that can go out from track the product itself. So we saw that uh, it is not always straightforward to fingerprint transactions, as you as you mentioned, you know, mal mal form transactions, creating false positives. We were able to really validate the data set initially with our own understanding of what we have put data we've put on cifree.com and this was possible for a few initial initial customers who agreed to be a participant in the beta program 
And that was a really, really good learning experience overall where that 40,000 products that we have, you know, you could inject that information into a transaction system and then a machine learning algo can sort of figure out, okay, these set of transactions most likely are going to, you know, point to this product. So that was really helpful initially. Uh, Once we got to a point where we are able to parse through 90% of the products in any transactional system, uh, we don't need to do that anymore. But it was great to use that data set and validate on particular company transactions. All right. Well, we've run out of most of our time. I, I'd love to close by hearing a little bit more about where the company is going, what your long-term goals are, and I guess what you're focused on building today. Yeah, I think the mission and the vision of the company I keep repeating you know, is to cater to buyers of software and enable them with all the data and insights that they need to take great decisions. Discover is one of those. So we are going to build more features on Discover itself, so if we discover, so that Discover is easier. On the management side, I think we have built track. We've seen great traction. Uh, lots of companies have started using us and you're almost adding 50 to 60 companies uh, every week. And it's hard to keep up with this uh, sort of growth because it creates a lot of support footprint also. And it's still 20 people. We've not really added a lot of people. Uh, where we really want to go with the track product is to get utilization going. Uh, it's already work in progress. We have some beta customers there too. But it's not really rolled out to the entire user base. Utilization is where you can bring in your product-specific information and really understand how much are you really using a product. So if, you, if you've bought 25 Salesforce licenses, how are these licenses being utilized? A lot of that data is in the Salesforce API itself. You can bring in your identity provider like Okta or OneLogin and get to understand how many users are even active on these uh, you know, third-party uh, software products. So I think utilization is a big game that we'd like to go and build. There are other problems that also can really help in this whole B2B software management space, uh, which we also want to tap into. But we just try to focus on you know, really improving Discover and Siftree.com's experience, build a really great robust tool with Siftree Track, and then you know build utilization on top of it, and uh, I'd like to monetize and build the revenue channel there as well. All right. Well, Ion Barwa, thank you for coming on Software Engineering Daily. It's been great to have you once again. All right, thanks, Jeff. Yeah, it was lovely chatting with you. Wow.